0: My fellow degenerates and CFL fans, I bid you hello for the first time in 2020. Welcome back to Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast, with myself, Kyle McMahon, your gracious host, here to hopefully lead the way back to the betting window as it pertains to all things Canadian football. This may be all in vain as the Black Death, apparently known as COVID-19 in this century, descends upon our society, but with absolutely nothing to bet on in the immediate future and with CFL free agency dust mostly settled, I figured it was time we'd take a look at the off-season Grey Cup Futures market and start getting ready for kickoff in June, if in fact the league is able to start up as scheduled about three months from now. So where did we leave off? Ah yes, the Hamilton Tiger-Cats looked all set to cash those lucrative Grey Cup futures tickets that we rode out to the bitter end, sporting a scintillating 15 and 3 record and favored by a handful of points against 2019's team of destiny as it would happen, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But alas, Hamilton picked an inopportune time for their biggest stinker of the year. So, if I had to take the hit to the pocketbook, I can certainly stomach raising a beer to steamboat Willie Jefferson, improbable hero Zach Caleros, and of course the long-suffering Blue Bomber faithful who had waited more than long enough to lift the Grey Cup once again. So what did Hamilton do in response to being left as the only CFL franchise without a Grey Cup in the 20th century? Well, I'd argue they went out and made improvements, which is bad news for the rest of the CFL. Appropriately in my estimation, the Tabbies are the current Grey Cup betting favorites, checking in at anywhere from plus 300 to plus 350 on the betting board. So what key additions did a team already brimming with talent make in recent weeks? The biggest name they've added is probably receiver Devere Posey, formerly of the Alouettes. With Braylon Addison not surprisingly being offered an NFL shot with the Minnesota Vikings, Hamilton had a hole to fill at this position and Posey, while he's not quite the dynamic threat that Addison was, uh, should slot in here nicely. Hamilton also saw the departures of linebacker Justin Tuggle and defensive back Richard Leonard via free agency, but did their best to replace a couple of key cogs from last year's defense. Larry Dean is back in the fold after spending last year with the Eskimos. He's not coming off a great season, but being back in an organization he's very familiar with could have him poised for a bounce back. And Patrick Levels is another guy who's come over from Montreal, and this player could prove valuable, as he's one of those hybrid types that can line up at outside linebacker or slide into the backfield. For the time being at least, it appears Hamilton will be moving forward with both Dane Evans and Jeremiah Masoli at the quarterback position. And as we've seen in recent years, this has most definitely become a league where you need two reliable quarterbacks at your disposal, as one guy making it through 18 games unscathed just doesn't happen a whole lot anymore. All told, Hamilton is clearly poised to make another run at the Grey Cup, barring catastrophic injuries, and the question is, are they worth a play at the current price? Betting preseason favorites is seldom a high-value play, but I actually think this number is reasonable. With Montreal's return to respectability and the Argonauts overhauling their roster, the Eastern Division could be more competitive than it generally has been in recent years, but it's still hard to envision a scenario where Hamilton isn't hosting the East Final. We're a long ways off, but if we take it for granted that things indeed play out this way, holding a ticket at better than plus 300 on a team that just needs to win two playoff games that they'd likely be favoured in, In order to cash isn't a bad spot to be in. As long as Hamilton isn't projected to be an underdog by nearly a touchdown in a potential Grey Cup game, having them at plus 350 will have value in November if they finish in first place. We may as well keep things out east and have a look at the Montreal Alouettes who are listed at plus 800 across the board right now. Montreal is now being piloted by Danny Machocha, who returns to the CFL after a decade-long absence. I could probably dedicate an entire episode of this podcast to the trials and tribulations of the man who quickly and efficiently ran the Edmonton Eskimos franchise into the ground while holding the title of general manager after winning the Grey Cup as a coach in 2005. But in a league where third and fourth chances are commonplace, we'll give Danny a second one after. He's spent the last several years running a successful Montreal Caravans program at the U Sports level. That would be Canadian University football, for those unaware that CIS rebranded themselves as U-Sports a couple years back. Or CIAU, if you're old enough to remember back to two rebrandings ago. Anyway, Montreal is looking to keep the momentum going as Kari Jones will enter his second season as head coach after signing an extension that seemed like a mere formality to all of us outside observers, but actually took longer than expected to get finalized. There's been a fair amount of roster turnover so far, probably a touch more than expected to be honest. William Standback has gone south to try and lock down an NFL roster spot. I believe he signed with the Raiders and while I'm sure we all wish him the best in that pursuit, that was one of the premier power running backs in the CFL heading out the door and it's too bad to see him go. Montreal has brought back Tyrell Sutton to try and fill the void along with former Argonaut James Wilder who's hoping a fresh start can rejuvenate his career. The receiving corps also took a hit with the departure of Devere Posey and the unfortunate arrest of promising young receiver Quan Bray in the States. Given the stance our friends to the South have on drug running across state lines, I would have to say being pulled over with 150 pounds of marijuana, yes, you heard me correctly, likely means we've seen the last of Bray in a CFL uniform. Naaman Roosevelt was signed from the Rough Riders. Uh, he should provide some good veteran depth at the position. Ultimately, Vernon Adams' ability to repeat last season's unexpected success is going to make her break this offense, though. Defensively, along with the aforementioned Patrick Levels, Montreal has seen the departures of Tommy Campbell, Bo Combo, and Chris Ackie to name the most prominent. Those are some fairly good players they'll be looking to replace on a defense that wasn't overly strong in the first place. I think they got a good one in second-year defensive back Taequann Glass, who I'm very surprised the Eskimos let get away. Um, We'll wait and see on Money Hunter, also signed from Edmonton, and Kevin Fogg, who spent much of last season injured in Toronto. Rush end Adrian Tracy looks to be a nice add for a defensive line that did need an upgrade. Based on where things stand now, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect the Owls to make the playoffs again and win between 8 and 10 games, but I'm hard-pressed to come up with any reasons as to why they should be any better than that uh, at this moment. It's rare for a team to significantly exceed expectations two years in a row, and unless Montreal does just that, they'll need to win three playoff games to capture the Great Cup, as I just can't see them topping Hamilton for first place uh, with the roster in its present form. Plus 800 isn't an outrageous price by any means, but I wouldn't say I see any value in it at the moment. We're a bit more spread out when it comes to the odds for the new look Toronto Argonauts, who will be barely recognizable from last year's team when they hit the field this season. I'm seeing the boatmen at plus 800 in some shops and as much as plus 1200 at others, so definitely do some browsing if you're planning on laying a bet on the Argos. New management group, although Pinball Clemens is by no means a greenhorn, and a new coaching staff headed by former Calgary quarterbacks coach Ryan Dinwiddie, who is. Dinwiddie's learned from some very qualified personnel in Calgary, and Toronto will be hoping he can instill a culture of winning, something that has clearly been lacking the last couple seasons. It'll be difficult to fully grasp how Toronto is going to look this year until we actually see them on the field. I'm not sure I can remember such a total roster overhaul in one offseason quite like one we've seen here. But on paper, this definitely has the makings of a superior team to the one that went 4-14 four and 14 in 2019. The defensive line has been completely rebuilt with former Bombers Drake Nevis and Craig Rowe bringing Grey Cup winning pedigree to the interior. Alex Bazzi, Fabian Foote, and Earl Okine were also signed as free agents, and while they still appear to lack a game-breaking rush end for the time being, this group should shore up the position fairly well. Arjun Colquhoun and Tommy Campbell, if they can both manage to stay healthy, should help stop the bleeding in a defensive secondary that had been downright awful for two years running, and another veteran in Cresden Butler was also added to the mix. The linebacking corps should feature Canadians Chris Aki and Bola Combo, giving them ratio flexibility. By the looks of things, I'd wager Alden Darby might just be the only regular starter from last year's defense that starts on opening day this year. And given the performance of last year's unit, that has to be seen as a positive. Offensively, the changes are not quite as drastic, but still noteworthy. Uh, The Riders possibly boasted the deepest offensive line in the CFL last season, and Toronto has helped themselves to a good chunk of that depth by signing Philip Blake and Darius Bladdock. I'm still not entirely sold on this group, but we'll see how they come together in camp. Receivers Juwan Breskison and Devaris Daniels also come over from the Western Division, looking to fill the shoes of Darrell Walker and S.J. Green. Walker was allowed to walk as a free agent in order to free up salary cap space, though he does remain unsigned at this particular moment, despite continuous rumors that he'll end up in B.C., so I guess it's technically possible he'd be back. Green's status is also uncertain after he signed on with the XFL, though it now seems doubtful that league will uh, resume play anytime soon. And of course, the most prominent move of them all would be the signing of quarterback Matt Nichols, who arrives in Toronto with a bit of a chip on his shoulder after the Bombers elected to move forward with Zach Caleros as their presumptive starter. It's interesting to note that McLeod Bethel Thompson re-upped with the Argos shortly before Nichols' signing was announced, and in his own words, he was only willing to re-sign if he was going to be given a legitimate shot at the starting job. So it's kind of interesting to see if there's going to be any friction here, since it's hard to imagine Nichols won't be given the ball unless he really looks bad in training camp, but I suppose the bottom line here is that Toronto should be able to at least tread water at the quarterback position, something they were not doing last year under James Franklin. I also believe the removal of Jacques Chapdelaine as OC is going to help in and of itself, but Dinwiddie and his staff are still going to have their work cut out for them, trying to get better than average results out of this group. I'll say confidently that Toronto is going to be an improved football team over last year, and and that's definitely reflective reflected in the plus 800 number we're seeing out there at some places I'd treat that pretty similar to the way I I treat it for Montreal this looks like an average team to me until they demonstrate otherwise so no real value at that price at plus 1200 though I, I think that's potentially worth a look if you happen to do business with the book that has that number posted right now if all the new personnel on defense is able to gel early and Toronto can weather a fairly tough-looking early schedule, they should have a shot at hosting a playoff game. Actually, winning the Grey Cup looks to be a real stretch at this point, but we've seen enough oddities in this league over the years not to totally discount any team that might have a pulse. Rounding out the East would be the biggest long shots on the board as the Ottawa Red Blacks check in at plus 1,300. I'll say it right now, the bookies are a lot higher on these guys than I am. Uh, Ottawa got their man in Paul Lapolis, who will finally get a second-head coaching gig after years of guiding the Winnipeg offense, and I I think he's a very solid hire for sure. For the most part, coaching wasn't really a problem last year in Ottawa under Rick Campbell. There were certainly opportunities for criticism, and I guess maybe there's the thought that things had just gotten stale there, but to me, this was Ottawa fixing one of the few problems that they didn't actually have. One big problem that they'd hope to have found the solution to would be Nick Arbuckle at quarterback. I think giving the keys to the franchise to a guy who really only has a few weeks of solid play in a very good system under his belt is a gamble, but it's probably one that Ottawa can justify taking. They could have gone after Matt Nichols as a stopgap, but Nichols is always an injury concern and is on the back half of his career, so opting to go with the higher potential commodity is justifiable. Question is, just how good is our vocal going to look outside of Dave Dickinson's system? It's a legitimate question, but Paul Lapolis has a history of getting good results out of some pretty average quarterbacks, so I do think Arbuckle is in good hands in that regard. One thing I'm wondering, though, is who's he going to throw the ball to? Uh, Ottawa was weak at the receiver position last year and hasn't added anyone of note while losing Dominic Rimes in free agency. I definitely think parting ways with ineffective running back Moses Madu is the correct move, and with newly signed Anthony Coombs and holdover John Crockett, this could be a fairly dynamic backfield if both players can manage to stay healthy. Aside from that, though, there's very little reason to be excited about this offense beyond the intrigue of how Arbuckle's going to look as a starter. They were historically bad last year in terms of their inability to score touchdowns, and I just don't think Gia Marcel Desjardins has done nearly enough to address that. I'd say things do look a little better on defense, Don Unamba is a big add to the secondary, capable of playing at outside linebacker or safety. Uh, He's another guy I'm surprised the Eskimos let get away. Uh, And with all the turnover in Toronto, some guys were going to shake loose, and Ottawa managed to scoop the one big fish from that defense in the form of lineman Cleon Lang. Heading out the door the other way in free agency were J.R. Tavai and Anthony Chaffee, the latter of which actually signed with the New York Jets, which surprises me a little, but nonetheless still a a rare bright spot in the secondary that couldn't stop a nosebleed last year. I, I would say lack of depth at this position remains a major concern. They've probably got just enough talent to tread water back there when everyone is healthy, but a couple injuries could sink them fast. Honestly, Ottawa turning in a winning season this year looks as unlikely as Montreal was to turn one in going into last year, which is to emphasize that absolutely anything can happen in the CFL, but the Red Blacks are in tough. Just not enough talent on the roster as it stands, no real game breakers, unless the scouting staff really knocks it out of the park with new guys brought into camp, I foresee another long year in Ottawa, and plus 1,300 is well short of being a worthwhile play in my opinion. Shifting over to the Western Division, things are bunched a lot more tightly in terms of the odds we're seeing. Coming in as low as plus 350 at some spots, but generally sitting at around plus 500 elsewhere, would be the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, looking to build off a very successful 2019 season that saw them as perhaps a somewhat surprising first place finisher in the West. Saskatchewan has a lot going for them right now. They'll return largely the same roster for 2020, which is becoming somewhat of a rarity in this league. And that level of familiarity is something that I can see paying dividends in the early going. The Riders, for whatever reason, have been slow starters in recent years, despite their very good end-of-season win-loss records. So if they can correct that aspect of things, they should be well-poised to threaten for top spot in the division once again. The biggest losses in free agency would be Micah Johnson in the middle of the defensive line and probably Derek Moncrief who got an NFL shot, but this is still a very formidable looking unit. Depth at the linebacker position could be an issue, but if that's as good as you can do for criticism, you're definitely on the right track. Offense, largely the same personnel, no real significant ads there. James Franklin was signed to back up Cody Fajardo, but I still think he will have to win that job over Isaac Harker and Brian Bennett. Parker looked alright in some spot duty last year, and he's only 24, so I figure he's probably got the inside track in terms of locking down a roster spot, but don't sleep on Bennett. I actually thought he looked pretty good in Blue Bombers camp last year. Biggest change on offense will be the man calling the plays for the Riders, and in spite of my opinion of Jason Moss as a head coach, I think he'll nonetheless be an upgrade over the departed Steve McAdoo at the offensive coordinator position. Bad play calling in key spots was a huge weakness for the Riders under McAdoo, nowhere more apparent than in the Western Final last November when Saskatchewan repeatedly tried to pass their way into the end zone from less than five yards out rather than hand the ball to their power running back. And I think that sequence was what probably sealed this fate ultimately. It's not all that often you see a team make a major change to a coaching staff coming off a season where they probably exceeded internal expectations. So do credit to Craig Dickinson for making the hard decision. Moss has a general reputation for working well with quarterbacks and tailoring his offenses to their strengths, so we'll see if that continues with Fajardo, who offers a mobile element in the passing game as well. Dickinson making the important in-game tactical decisions and leaving Moss to focus on scheming should be beneficial to both parties here. So plus 500 if you're getting the better of the numbers. There's definitely reasons to take a look at this. Saskatchewan is... I'd say as or more likely to win the Grey Cup as anyone else in the West right now as I see it, but you're probably banking on them finishing first in order for this to hold any value come November. If they finish second or worse, just taking the money line odds for each playoff game and rolling your winnings over is very likely to have a higher return than a plus 500 ticket would. I would pick the Riders to win the West if the season started today with teams as is, but unlike the Tiger Cats in the East, it isn't anything close to certain, and it's that doubt that has me fairly lukewarm towards Sasky at the present price. Another team expected to be a major player in the Western Division this year would be the Calgary Stampeders, checking in at plus 500 or plus 550. I thought Calgary did a pretty nice job in free agency. Most of their major losses were guys heading down to the NFL, and that's just the ironic downside to bringing so many good players into the league every year. Trey Roberson obviously looks like the biggest loss. Reggie Bagleton will be missed as well, though receivers tend to be easier to replace than elite defensive backs. Overall, the defense doesn't have the name recognition at the moment that we saw in past years, but GM John Huffnagel has become the best in the business at recruiting new talent, so I'm confident there's going to be at least one or two difference makers emerge in training camp. Richard Leonard, formerly of the Tiger Cats, was a very solid add in the secondary. They'll be looking in his direction to fill the hole left by Roberson. Linebacker Fraser Sopic was a pretty recent pick in the Canadian draft. That's a guy to maybe keep an eye on as a possible ratio buster out there. When it comes to the offense, not a lot of activity thus far. Losing Begleton and Juwan Breskison is a hit to the receiving core, but the Stampeders had several depth guys step up and look pretty good at times last year when the injury bug hit. And Kamar Jordan, for all intents and purposes, may as well be considered a new addition as he missed all of last season save for the final game, recovering from reconstructive knee surgery. So overall, I think they're still in decent shape at this position. Sean McEwen was signed over from Toronto to add another body to the O-line, which does appear to have some solid depth to it. Running back is probably the biggest question mark right now, with Don Jackson signing in Hamilton and Terry Williams heading up the highway to Edmonton. Kadeem Carey would probably be my guess as the opening day starter if he manages to stay healthy, but there's probably nothing set in stone right now for Dave Dickinson. Calgary might be in the rare position of flying a little under the radar right now. He'll be in the uh you know odd odd spot of looking for a bounce back year. something we've probably haven't had to say about them in, in almost a decade after they failed to reach the western final for the first time in ages last year it's also worth noting that injuries had really crushed them by the time november rolled around and despite returning to the lineup by labor day bolivia mitchell was never truly hundred percent healthy by most accounts think we probably see a Calgary team that is maybe a little hungrier this year, and given their pedigree, plus 550 isn't unappealing. But for the same reasons, I'm only lukewarm on Saskatchewan at a pretty similar number. A Stamps great tic- Cup ticket is only likely to have value in November if they finish first in the division. They certainly could do that, but the West is always a dogfight, so I'd have to say there's probably no real value to be had in this number at the moment. Let's stay in the province of Alberta here and break down how Edmonton's offseason has gone so far. First up, the biggest news is the coaching change. And no real surprise that Brock Sunderland has elected to move on from Jason Moss after four seasons of pedestrian results in terms of wins and losses. But the man he found to replace him caught a few of us off guard. Scott Milanovic, who coached the Argonauts to the 2012 Grey Cup and for several years thereafter, returns to Canada after a few seasons working with the quarterbacks in Jacksonville. And this is a hire that I think has a pretty good chance of working out for the Eskimos. Milanovic is well-respected in CFL circles and will be expected to get more out of an offense that looked great at times last season but was plagued by odd decisions from the sidelines. When it comes to the player personnel side of things, though, I think Sunderland has left some serious question marks. Edmonton's defensive unit turned in a pretty good 2019 campaign, but the defensive backfield was starting to fade by the end of the season, and and this wasn't an area where I felt they could afford to get any weaker. Why a promising young corner in Taekwon Glass was allowed to get away, I have no explanation for at the moment, and also gone in free agency are Josh Johnson, Arjun Kolkun, and Donny Namba. Yunaba, know, for my money, might have been Edmonton's most valuable all-around defender last season, and for the most part, these guys have all been replaced by the guys the Argonauts cut loose or let walk away during their roster overhaul. Given the results turned in by that Argo secondary the last couple of years, you can't help but feel uneasy about the current state of affairs in the Eskimos' backfield. The good news on defense is that the front four remains an embarrassment of riches with Canadian Kwaku Botang wreaking havoc off the edge and the potential for highly touted young Canadian Matthew Betts to make an impact in the interior. Linebacker Justin Tuggle was the biggest add in free agency and the Eskimos will hope for better results out of this former Tiger Cat than they got from Larry Dean last season. On offense, no earth shattering changes by any means, but I do like the Brandon Burks pickup at the running back position. You might remember me mentioning how I thought he was underutilized in Toronto throughout last season, and I think this is a guy who could be a pleasant surprise if he takes advantage of a new opportunity. Shaq Cooper will be back in the fold, and the Eskimos also added Terry Williams, who will probably split the time between running back and kick returner. I wouldn't say there's a ton of depth at the receiver position right now, but if Edmonton employs a reasonably similar scheme to their short and fast passing game from last year, Trevor Harris should be able to make do with Greg Ellingson and some foot soldiers. Though if Ellingson were to go down, the lack of a game-breaking threat could hurt this offense. I'm seeing Edmonton listed at plus 600 right now with a rogue plus 750 out there. Even the better number is a hard pass for me right now. I don't think the Eskimos will be a bad team by any means, but it's hard not to look at that Darius, a real Achilles heel right now. At the moment, this looks like a team that will be hard pressed to grab one of the top two positions in their division. And at this number, there's no value to be had if they were to finish third or worse, which seems more likely than not at the moment. Next up, we have a team that intrigues me the most at the moment, and that would be the BC Lions. Last year was an abject failure in Vancouver. Rookie head coach Devon Claybrooks paid the price, and Rick Campbell heads back west to take the reins. This offseason needed to be a big one for Ed Hervey, and while I don't think Claybrooks' coaching was even close to BC's biggest problem last year, they have addressed a lot of weaknesses. The roster didn't really lose anyone of particular note via free agency, and a defense that was quietly pretty decent in the second half of last season added Micah Johnson to their interior D-line, while also scooping defensive end Chris Casher from the Stampeders. Stopping the run was a big issue in BC last year, and Johnson should help this immensely. Also added to the fold was defensive back Keon Lynn and linebacker Kenny Ladler, both former CFL All-Stars returning north after NFL attempts. On offense, the much maligned O-line added a solid veteran in Riker Matthews. He comes over from Hamilton, and receiver Dominic Rhymes should add some nice depth behind Brian Burnham and Shaq Johnson at that position. It's funny how these things work. BC came into last season with all sorts of hype and expectation, but outside of Mike Riley coming in at quarterback, I didn't feel they really had a great roster top to bottom. I certainly didn't think they'd flame out the way they did, but in doing so, I think they've sufficiently lowered public perception of themselves. To the point that at plus 650, which is the number we're seeing in most places, and certainly at plus 900, which is available at one well-known book, they might actually be undervalued at this point. If the offensive line can hold up and they were, were starting to come around in the latter half of last season, I don't see any clear weaknesses on this depth chart as Ed Hervey spent his free agent money very wisely this offseason compared to last BC will be tested early with four games against Western rivals to start the season, so if you're on the fence about backing them in the futures market, you probably don't have to worry about them blasting off to a 4-0 start and missing your chance to enter the market. But I do think this team could contend for one of the top two spots in the West. and a plus 900, I'd be taking a serious look for sure. Last but not least, the defending Grey Cup champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who head into 2020 at about plus 550 at most shops, putting them just a shade behind Saskatchewan and Calgary. I'm sure it was a great offseason for the Bomber fans everywhere, basking in the glory of knowing for the the entire 2020 season they will be referred to as the champs. As far as how the team itself fared in the offseason thus far, well, why rain on the parade, right? Nah, but seriously, while nothing disastrous occurred and the Bombers still project to be one of the CFL's stronger teams, it's mainly subtractions they've left us to discuss so far. Paul Lapolis, who always seemed to be in the running to fill off-season head coaching vacancies elsewhere, did just that as we discussed earlier heading to Ottawa. One of the finest offensive minds we've seen over the last decade in this league won't be easy to replace, but former starting quarterback Buck Pierce promoted to OC will do his best. It'll be interesting to see how closely this offense resembles the previous edition. I wouldn't imagine the Bombers stray from the Andrew Harris heavy scheme too much, but Chris Strevler signing with the New Orleans Saints is going to be dearly missed. His ability as a runner allowed Winnipeg to employ all sorts of different packages that you can't use in a one-quarterback system. As good as Zach Caleros played in November last season, Strevler's ability to hammer on opposing defenses at regular intervals when he got thrown in there was instrumental in Winnipeg reaching the Grey Cup. Caleros is going to open up the deep passing game more than Strevler or Matt Nichols were able to, but his ability to stay healthy at this stage of his career is a huge question mark. With Strevler and Nichols both out the door, there's no proven option behind Caleros for when the inevitable injury occurs. 24-year-old Sean McGuire saw a few snaps last season and had no shortage of success in college at Western Illinois, but I'm surprised Winnipeg still hasn't made the move for a more proven plan B. The offense should be fine for as long as Caleros stays on the field. They've still got a strong O-line and a serviceable group of receivers, but I do expect them to take a bit of a step back due to the losses of Lapolis and Strevler, and all bets are off if Caleros misses significant time. Defensively, the most important thing by far was retaining the services of Willie Jefferson, the standout defensive end who was Mr. Everything out there for the Bombers last year, and they indeed got him locked up early in free agency. They also managed to nab defensive back uh, Josh Johnson, and Toby Antigua and Micah Alway could prove to be impactful signings in the front seven if they can bounce back from disappointing seasons in Toronto last year. Overall though this defense probably downgraded slightly. Winston Rose and Marcus Sales both signed NFL contracts and Drake Nevis heading to Toronto is a big loss along the defensive line. Uh, Fortunately the Bombers did have some internal depth at this position to help ease the loss but they're going to need another huge year out of Steamboat Willie for this unit to remain effective. At plus 550 to repeat, I can't say this number entices me. We all remember the run this team went on in November and how good they looked up until Labor Day last season, but we can't completely lose sight of the fact that this team was trending sharply downwards throughout the second half of last year and needed an unlikely turn of events in the form of Calero showing up at the 11th hour and stringing together some first-rate efforts just for them to hang on to their playoff position and then go on the run they did. I was of the opinion that Mike O'Shea was probably on his way out the door if Winnipeg hadn't reached the Grey Cup, so it shows what a dramatic turnaround this was, but we'll see if that momentum can carry over. Honestly, I could see Winnipeg finishing anywhere from 1st to 5th in the division right now. I think they're very likely a playoff team with a healthy Caleros, but there's no freebies in the Western Division, and the uncertainty of his health definitely scares me off the Bombers at the moment. So wrapping things up here, I don't think there's really one play on the board right now that stands out as a must fire. If you're looking to lock in a bigger play, I think Hamilton is probably your best option at the moment. It's somewhat unusual to think the favorite has some value, but the high probability that they host the Eastern Final gives them a leg up that nobody else has at the moment. If you're eyeing something that's probably worth a sprinkle, the Lions at plus 900 is where I'd be looking. I think they have some definite dark horse potential this year, if that's really possible to be a dark horse in a nine-team league. Last thing that needs to be considered, though, unfortunately, is the increasing likelihood that the CFL season isn't going to play out exactly as scheduled Reality is, this isn't a league that can feasibly play in empty stadiums, and the possibility of jurisdictions allowing stadiums full of people by the end of May when preseason begins seems very slim as it stands right now. Not to mention the fact that import players can't even cross the border right now to get to training camp in the first place. The one good thing about a small league is that I think having to adjust on the fly to a reduced schedule would be relatively easy, so barring something almost apocalyptic, I'm sure we will have a season in some form or another, but the possibility does exist uh, of some sort of alternate playoff format or seating, and that's, that's something to have in the back of your mind. So with that, I will bid you farewell and hopefully next time you hear my voice, we're getting set for week one kickoff and regular season win totals previews. Remember to follow me on Twitter at kdrive88, that's kdrive 88 8 if you're not already doing so. And any questions, comments, or feedback, positive or negative, is always welcome. FirstLinePicks.com has the full show archive if for whatever reason you feel the urge to live last season in all its glory. Stay safe and healthy everyone and hopefully we'll talk again soon.